No my hearty my welcome to the Price of Purpose podcast where we explore the present and future of philanthropy in Aotearoa. I'm your host Gemma Rose here to bring my passion for youth development and systems change to the conversation. Joining me in the waka today is Haley Xavier and Tiraukura O'Connell Rapira, here to share the journey of the Youth Movement Fund Aotearoa. Where did it all start? Where does the power lie? How do we look after our communities? And where to from here? Ciao to everybody and welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited to be diving into a conversation today about the Youth Movement Fund Aotearoa. Haley Xavier is a Daisy and queer young person with a background in climate and community activism. They currently sit on the Youth Movement Fund Aotearoa board whilst also completing their studies in social and community work through the University of Otago. They have a passion for transformational change and rigid structures and are a celebrated member of the Youth and Philanthropy Rōpū. We also have here today Te Kura O'Connell Rāpira, who is an experienced campaigner, community organiser, strategist, facilitator, trainer, people and project manager, youth worker and writer. They are the director of the POD, Centre for Healing Justice, and co-founder of the Youth Movement Fund, Aotearoa, a participatory grant-making trust that backs youth movements to change the world. Thank you both for being here. It's a real privilege and honour to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited to dive into this episode. And and before we do that, we'd love to just open with some uh, whanaungatanga. So Hayley, over to you. Um, would you be able to introduce yourself in whatever way feels good for you and share a little about your introductions or connections with philanthropy and your age or age bracket? Um, yeah, kia ora, I'm Hayley. Um, I'm 19. Um, I turned 19 this year, so I'm definitely a young person, apparently. Um, I am in the philanthropy sector through the Youth Movement Fund. Um and I got onto the Youth Movement Fund through my experience in climate activism and community advocacy, um, mainly through 350 Aotearoa or School Strike for Climate um, and a few other Rōpū. Um, as well as this, I have um, a bit of experience in community activism, so things like running a pop-up youth space in my local town, Whorangatahi, um, who are in need of a safe space. Now I currently work in the family and sexual violence sector, so I'm currently working under Te Aurerekure, the national strategy um, to eliminate family and sexual violence in 25 years, um, which is a hearty piece of mahi. Um, and that's where my my heart currently lies, working in that space, trying to rebuild a world of healing and love for our, for our mokopuna, um yeah and I'm super stoked to be here super stoked to talk about the revolutionary mahi happening in the youth movement fund to talk about redistributing um funds and putting putting the power back in our people yeah thank you Kia ora, thank you so much Tadaukura. 
Kia ora, thank you for um for having me. Um I yeah, my name's Tirokura. Um I use they them pronouns um or ear, uh, which is the only pronoun that exists in the Māori language and uh, means they, because our tupuna are real clever like that. Um <laughs> I um my connection to oh yeah, so I sorry, I'm gonna do the whakapapa thing. I um whakapapa to Tiatiawa and Naruhine, so the south and the north of Taranaki, um to um Nati Fakoe, Maketu. Um, and to Tararua and Napui um, in Pangaru. Um, and so kind of got a little bit of a triangle going on in, uh, in the North Island um, of Aotearoa. Um, and then on my Pākehā side, I whakapapa to Kaunakiri and Ireland. Um, and I have been lucky enough in my life to visit the places of all of my old people, all of my tūpuna, um, and um, am very proud of um, all sides of my lineage um, for their um, for their for the hard yards that they've done so that I can be here today. Um, I'm currently dialing into this call from um, the lands of the Wurundjeri people, of the Kulin Nations and Te Whenua and Wimuya. Um, I've lived here for the last two years and um, I guess want to pay respects to our Aboriginal First Nations tuakana um, for the 65,000 years of knowledge, wisdom, um, brilliance, um, Indigenous excellence that they, uh, that they have. Um, my, my connection to philanthropy, I have been, um, Oh yeah, sorry, I'm at the older, at the older end of young people. Um, so 35, just had my birthday, so I think I'm officially kicked out. Um uh, but loving every year of my life in terms of the aging process. I um I feel like when you come up through youth movement spaces, there can be a bit of a worry about um, you know, aging out of our of our youth movements and all of that kind of stuff. But I um I am so grateful to Maori culture for um, giving us the tuakana tena model um, to allow for, you know, um, a, a framework that supports succession planning and um, and what's inherent in the tuakana tena model is that it's um, learning both ways, ako, um, the teaching and the learning goes both ways and so I feel really grateful to continue to be in relationship with many young people uh, such as Hayley um, through this mahi and other mahi that I do because um, the relationship of learning and storytelling and knowledge sharing um, absolutely is reciprocal and goes both ways, um, which I love. Um, my connection to philanthropy is that I have basically been a fundraiser since, I think fundraising was my entry point into the NGO kind of charity world. I, um, I uh, started off my journey in life by chasing music festivals. I um, moved to the UK because I wanted to work on some of the biggest music festivals and Glastonbury and um, things like that. And so did that and then realized that um, quite quickly that festivals are very much a seasonal job. And so um, ended up having to find a day job outside of that. And the day job I found was fundraising at a, at a charitable fundraising agency that worked on behalf of multiple um, kaupapa. And, um, and so my job, uh, for a couple of years while living in Bristol was to call 30 people a day um, on behalf of like Oxfam or Greenpeace and ask them to give money to um, Oxfam or Greenpeace and have 27 of those people say no and three of those people say yes if you deliver your pitch right. Um, and so fundraising um, has been a big part of my um, entry point into social change um, for quite a long time and the Youth Movement Fund was the first opportunity to come onto the other side of that, which is in the decision-making um, chair around how we distribute putia to, to youth movements. Um, and so I think 
um, my experience as, as a fundraiser for 10, 12 years has um, taught me a lot about what it means to be the person trying to get money to communities, affected communities, people with lived experience, visions of a better future that's possible. And my experience at the Youth Movement Fund and trying to shift that resource from the other side alongside many other people in, in movement spaces has been really enriching um, because it has a, enabled a kind of more 360 view of these things. Um, Yeah. thank you so much for those introductions. I uh, would love, love, love to dive into the Youth Movement Fund. What is it? Could you tell us a little bit about uh, the fund, how it started, and where did the money come from? Yeah, it's a good question. We should always be asking where the money comes from and things. Um, so uh, the Youth Movement Fund um is funded by uh, Quattro Trust. And Quattro Trust, basically the, <laughs> the whakapapa of it is that, um, is that uh, the person who made the money um, read Max Harris's book, The New Zealand Project, and was like, I love this book. I want this vision to happen. How can I make it happen? And um, he approached, uh, Quattro Trust approached Max and were, were like, how can we fund you to make this happen? And Max very beautifully was like, you should fund my friend Terokura. <laughs> and um, at that time I was um, running Rock and Roll, which was a youth powered um, campaign, which is focused on getting more young people out to vote by combining um, popular culture, particularly music, um, music uh, like concerts and gigs and stuff um, with community organizing. And so I first became involved with Quattro Trust because they funded rock and roll. And then when I moved to Action Station, um, uh, I went back to those same funders because one thing I've learned from fundraising is that the best time to ask for money is to ask immediately after you've just got money. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's a, um, you know, when you go what, like to McDonald's or whatever and they're like, you want to make that a large? That's the same thing with fundraising. You're like, oh, you want to give a little more? So thank you. Um, so yeah, they ended up funding, um, Quattro Trust ended up funding Action Station. And um, and then when I left Action Station, um, Marcelin, um, who is the like kaifaka haere for Quattro, got in touch with me and said, um, we are interested in, um, we are disappointed that um, uh, there's no wealth tax in Aotearoa. Um, and we have decided that we would like to give away um, the equivalent of what we should be taxed in, in our wealth um, over the next 10 years. We want to give away $2 million. Um, and what what we would like to do is we would like you and Max to come up with the with the program of how we should distribute this funding. Um, there are some parameters. You can only give out two hundred thousand dollars a year because that's what we've budgeted for over the next um, uh, ten years. Um, and one suggested model we have, which has worked really well for us in um, venture capitalism, is um, you give like large sums to high performing individuals. And so the original model was that you give. $50,000 scholarships to individuals, um, to four individuals a year. And then those four individuals pick the people who get the scholarships the, the next year. And basically Max and I felt deeply uncomfortable with A, receiving $50,000 as individuals and B, with having so much power to determine that like large amount of funds. And so um, Max and I spent a lot of time speaking with people that we trusted in movement spaces and philanthropy spaces and, um, and proposed an alternative model, which was that we would um, bring in a committee of uh, 14 um, uh, young people who are currently in movements across five key kaupapa areas. Um, 
decolonization and anti-racism, climate justice, takataku and queer liberation, economic justice and disability justice. Um, and those 14 people would help us make decisions um, about the, the putia. Um, we would um, pay their movements a small grant to recognize um, their time um, as a way to distribute funding to, to movements. Um, and we would pay them a small stipend for their time. Um, and that we would prefer to give out multi-year grants um, rather than one-off grants because we think that's what's needed to create long-term enduring systems change. And so um, that's the model we proposed to Quattro, that's the model they adopted. And so then we went to recruiting um, the committee and Haley was one of those um, uh, beautiful people who um, took up the took up the call to join us in this uh, decision-making and this kaitiakitanga of this putia. Incredible. I love, love hearing um, the papa of how this came together and just that acknowledgement of where power sits and how you actively chose to redistribute that and learning more about this process. It's, yeah, really inspiring. And I'm curious more to kind of unpack that process in more detail. Um, what has the process looked like along the way? and who has designed it? Um, what's been some of the thinking that's gone into the process? Can you expand on that a little more? Do you want to take that one, Hayley? Um, Yeah, sure. Um, from the perspective of um, someone who was chosen so luckily to be on this group, was that the design process was completely in our hands. So there were a few things that we had to adhere to, such as like how much money we could give per year and the um, scopes of who we were giving money to. But anything else, such as like how we decide we want to do the application process or how we decide we want to reach out to people um, and the decision making process was um, completely made up by scratch by the Ropu. And so um, originally, I believe we decided that we were going to meet in person to like hash out the details and do whakawhanaungatanga together and um, understand what the youth movement fund would look like and how it would um, manifest into reality as of complications with COVID and other, other reasons we decided to do this on Zoom. And essentially it was a series of very hearty meetings about how to, I guess, start this thing that's never happened before at least I haven't heard of before um and it was big work it was a lot of questioning it was a lot of imposter syndrome it was a lot of figuring out who wasn't in the room and how do we either bring them onto the table or um acknowledge their absence and make sure their voice is heard so we were <clears throat> We were definitely activists from the very beginning, identifying the gaps, criticizing ourselves, making sure we were um, including everyone um, as much as we could. Um, and yeah, I think from there we built up our kawa. Like I think that was the main thing, was to make sure we knew it, we knew everyone, and then we built our kawa, which was um, so fluid. It was very ch um, changeable. And that's something that I definitely valued in this process of decision-making was that if there was criticism or if there were suggestions, Turukura would be like, yeah, that's a good point. Let me talk to Marcelin and see what we can do about it. And usually there was either um, 
a compromise or exactly what we suggested was taken on board, um, which I found really valuable. Yeah, I love that. There's such a strong weaving of relationship in all of that, as well as like, wow, what an incredibly safe space to be able to speak to what isn't sitting right or what doesn't feel right or isn't making sense and to be able to offer a critique and um, for that to be met and received and then threaded through. I think that's really powerful to hear and just speaks to the strength of the connections and the relationships that were formed in that space. Is there anything else you wanted to add in there? I think maybe the thing that I would say is that we made a, um, it's, it's two things that I think have made this, um, this co-papa unique in, in my experience of, of being across different movements and communities um, and different spaces anyways, that we made a decision quite early on for the decision-making to be consensus-based, which meant that we had to have um, firstly a quorum. So we had to have at least 75% of that um, roku of 14 um, make the decision, which is um, which necessitates actually a slowing down um, to enable everyone to be present um, either um, on, on Zoom or via the email threads that followed or in the Discord chat. So um, uh, we made a decision to be consensus-based and then in following through on that, it did slow us down. And I think um, in this world of very fast, responsive, reactionary campaigning and community organizing and decision-making, that's a real outlier. And I think that that served us. Um, I think, um, you know, I think, um, I've become very interested in the role of um, healing, which Haley mentioned um, in the introduction, um, and, and healing injustice in our world and healing trauma and healing wounds. And my therapist often says that um, urgency is the, is the opposite of healing. And um, I think that if I could be so bold, I would say that the Youth Movement Fund um, really took a healing-centered approach to the mahi that we, that we did and we do. And I really have appreciated being in this kind of mana-enhancing space. And so that consensus-based decision-making made a big difference to the way that we operated. And then we we spent such a long time talking about the color of our kaupapa and the principles that would guide the way that we would be with one another. And I feel like I've been a part of, you know, values-led conversations in various NGOs and charities and movements um, before. And there's always this desire to, like, narrow it to, like, three core values or something like that. And... Um, if you go to the Youth Movement Fund website and look at our cover, it's like a list of 15 <laughs> like guidelines for how we will be with one another. And there's no hierarchy to it because we recognize the interdependence and um, interconnection between all of these values that drive the work that we do. And actually, sometimes even the conflict inherent in the values and what we do. And I think us spending so much time that like we basically just met on Zoom for a year um, uh, are spending so much time developing that cover and then turning that into practice. Um, meant that that relationship building and the robust decision making was much better for it. If I could add to that, um, I think something that I found really valuable is that we were, even though we were coming from such different movements across um, the country, um, we were all coming from the same value base. We were all coming from the same place. At the end of the day, we're here for community. We're here for healing our collectives and building our movements and working towards transformational change, which made the conflicts in our ropu um, really, in my opinion, easy to navigate. Well, maybe not easy, but it felt very safe to navigate because we were coming from a place of we're on the same side with this. At the end of the day, what we want to be doing is empowering our communities. And I think 
that was really unique to have um, because in a lot of spaces where you are working for community and even if you are in the exact same bracket of work, there are still varying opinions and varying values. But um, at least everyone on the on the committee was um, very much aligned in what we were all thinking. And if we went um, at the end of the day, we could tap into our intrinsic values um, of community, um, which really made the process very safe and full of trust and full of, it was very much relational, like centered on relationships. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my heart is like cracked open. Like that is so beautiful to hear and so healing and restorative by design. And I'm so curious how the learnings from this process have influenced and impacted you inside the other co-papa that you're involved with. Have there been threads that you've been able to take into those other spaces that you're um, contributing to and able to advocate and influence in um, yeah what what are some of those learnings that you've been able to discover through the process I am um, I'm doing a bunch of contract work at the moment across the Fino and Waimoya and Aotearoa and one of the contracts I'm working on is um, with inspiring stories around um, uh, climate justice and um, and very similarly um, inspiring stories approached me and were like we're interested in funding you know, young people working on climate justice. And I was like, I'm interested in funding young people working in collectives on climate justice. <laughs> and um, and uh, and I'm also interested in, um, in pushing the envelope a little when it comes to the decision-making about how we um, designate that, that funding. And, um, and so, you know, I was able to speak with some confidence from the experience of the Youth Movement Fund, um, Aotearoa, to say, you know, it's not when we give people... Um, genuine decision-making power over Putia um, on Kaupapa that they care deeply about, um, uh, it actually goes really, really well. Um, and so we have this um, we have this prize pool, it's, it's a small prize pool of $3,000 to give away in, um, in prizes of $1,000 to people, to younger young people in particular is what we're targeting, um, to, to try something local um, for the purpose of achieving climate justice. And we had 22 people apply for that and um, 22 um, people and organizations or groups, collectives apply for that. And 13 of those people chose to self-nominate into the committee who will ultimately make the decision about who will get that funding. And I think for, you know, especially for a co-papa like climate justice, you know, we can't afford to be in competition with one another because it's that competitive mindset that um, underpins capitalism, which has got us here in the first place. And um, and so I'm, I think I'm interested in finding the ways that we can bring more collaborative consensus-based decision-making into every element of what it is that we that we do. And, you know, I'm very interested in, in um, youth work in the youth space and I feel like for a long time the youth space has been very stuck in advisory panels where we have a group of young people who get um, brought into a space to um, post a note their ideas and um, and then a group of paid staff adults usually take that away and then turn it into something and you know I'm interested in what it looks like when we actually put people who have the lived experience and the um, skin in the game um, at the heart of those um, decisions by actually making them the decision makers what kind of decisions will be made and so um, I think it's really galvanized me to like not um, compromise I think um, and 
Um, and because we now have a proven tested model from giving out close to a million dollars that when you, you know, make decisions as a group of 14, on paper, that sounds like it won't work <laughs> to a lot of people. Um, but in practice, it absolutely has worked. And so, yeah, I'm really proud of it. And it's and it's made me less compromising, I think. I think um, for me, what I've learned, because um, I think I was accepted onto the Youth Movement Fund when I was 17. Um, <clears throat> and so like joining joining such a big copapa when you're you've just left high school is crazy for me I was I was freaking out about it I was like oh am I, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear oh, oh oh dear how how am I supposed to keep up with all of these esteemed activists who are so cool oh my god ah um and what I learned was that um young people have been systematically ignored they've been socially ignored they are ignored on an individual basis as well and when you platform young people and when I talk about young people I'm talking about people who are under 18 and I think that's a really interesting perspective to come from um, because they have so much less power than young people with full-time jobs um what I learned was that as soon as you have like a place to be listened to you get shit done um and I think it's so important to be platforming young people and I think it's important to have conversations about how we do that safely because I was lucky enough to come onto this youth movement fund with about three years of experience doing work as a young person doing unpaid volunteering and learn what my boundaries are and learn when to ask for things and learn when to say no um and I think the youth movement fund was definitely a nurturing space for me to learn that and learn to use my voice like the first meeting I went to with the youth movement fund I think I spoke for like 10 minutes and then at a in-person hui I like talked about myself for like a good 40 minutes just talking about my journey and I think that was like only possible because of the growth of the youth movement fund and that relational aspect of it and um, how that's translated into my work is that I've gone from a young person with very little power to a person with privilege to be making these decisions to be connecting people into these spaces and like I've become very aware of power dynamics which is um which is interesting to reflect on because of the way I think about power dynamics and then I think about people in their 40s thinking about the spaces they hold um, and how how little power dynamics are talked about because philanthropy is power. Like the philanthropy sector has so much more power than people talk about. Like money, money, holding money is power. Even if you're giving that money away, you have authority over how and who you give that money to. Um, and so really dissecting that and doing that when we're in interviews with people who we may be funding and making sure that they don't feel like intimidated by the people on the same side, because at the end of the day, that's what we are. Um, and yeah, I've just been reflecting on that power dynamic and on healing because this youth movement fund ultimately is to heal our movements. Um, and as someone who works in the family and sexual violence space as someone who's studying social and community work paradynamics and healing is like the main thing in my brain all the time so I'm just like I guess that learning is just ever changing and ever evolving um because of how inspired I've been by the youth movement fund 
Um, and I think I've been really lucky to learn from the tuakana on this board and the tuakana that we have funded, um, which has been really, really monumental for me. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think the main thing that I've taken from this youth movement fund is the courage of power, the courage of power. Like, don't be scared that you have power. Use that to help other people to gain the same power and the same platform because there's no point being intimidated by your privilege rather like lessen your privilege by like distributing it um that's yeah that's really what I've been thinking about like as as soon as I have the moment to talk to people in community groups I'm like hey do you need money do you need do you need resources let me know I'll link you up um and that's been awesome an awesome privilege to have whoa well, thank you for noticing those learnings and for everything you've just shared. That was, whoa. It's so incredible to notice the ways that, you know, there is the Kopapa here and there is the the Youth Movement Fund and, and it's got a, its own uh, focus and purpose. And in that, though, there is so many ways that you get strengthened um, inside the other spaces and places that you operate. So thank you for diving into that. Um, I'm curious about what you have funded uh, with the Youth Movement Fund and perhaps just briefly what's worked well, what's been challenging and what you've learned. So I don't know if you you both want to do one or two um, focuses. Yeah, awesome. I can talk about what we've funded just because I just pulled up the spreadsheet in front of me so I can um, get it right. Um, so since we launched, we have... Um, given away $75,000 in one-off grants um, to a range of different kaupapa. Um, I'll just quickly reel off a few of them. Um, we funded Manatipua, which is a Takatapua youth group in uh, Ototahi, um, where Takatapua Rangatahi are connected with Matauranga Māori and Toi through workshops in Tohunga. Um, uh, so Rongoa, Tangapuro, Pounamu Carving, Tamoko, Waiata, that kind of stuff. So um, creating healing spaces for our takatapui whānau. Um, rangatahi regeneration, which I love the way that they describe their kaupapa, which is essentially helping rangatahi Māori and Pacifica people to step into their gangster tanga. Um, so helping them to step into their mana through um, through programs very centred on, um, on mana-centred youth work, um, essentially. Free fares, um, which is the youth-led kaupapa for um, funding free public transport for a range of different um, ropu, but with a particular focus on students and um, people under the age of 25. Um, a climate justice ropu in um, Whangaroa. Um, so we wanted to, with the one-off grants, we wanted to make sure that we kind of distributed more money to the regions because it was our observation that lots of money in these spaces goes to Auckland Wellington a lot of the time. Um, and so we wanted to kind of um, to move beyond that. Um, we also funded some wānanga for takatapui young people in Kirikiriroa, um, a campaign led by young people with lived experience um, to, to change the laws around um, uh, equal and free access to sexual health for international students, um, uh, which is, uh, which is, which really negatively and disproportionately impacts people of gender and sexual minorities, uh, minority groups. Um, Utua Matimati, which is a kind of a zine collective of takatapui um, 
uh, Tangata Takatapui, um, who use zines as a source of like political propaganda to, um, uh, to that's their language, um, to, to, to promote the gay agenda, uh, which I love, I'm here for. <laughs> um, Aotearoa Liberation League, who um, have, who do a lot of mahi around like storytelling, um, uh, 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 or like they are, they are a strong counter to dis and misinformation by um, educating and organizing largely through TikTok and Instagram across a range of different kaupapa, but with decolonization at the heart of what they do. And you know, over the last couple of months, they've grown to about 100,000 followers across both of those platforms. Um, and so we've we've funded them to keep just doing what it is that they do. Um, to Hohaiati o Te Reo Māori, which is um, uh, actually the ropu that um, alongside Nata Matoa in the 1970s delivered the Māori language petition um, and a group of um, Māori university students at Te Reringa Waka are reinvigorating that kaupapa with a focus on empowering rangatahi Māori to reconnect to ancestral knowledge, um, particularly around the Taia um, through Wananga. Um, and then uh, we got, uh, uh, the Jones family got in touch with us and they were like, we love what you're doing. We have $3,000. We'd love to give it to you to give out to someone of your choosing, um, essentially. And so just putting this pānui out there that if you have some food there and you don't know how to make a decision about where to give it, we have plenty of um, spaces that we would love to give it to. Um, and that enabled us to give uh, that that donation to Naranga Hotira, um, which supports Māori law students in their journey through law school with a particular focus on decolonizing the law. Um, and so those are the one-off grants. And then for the multi-year grants, it's... Um, uh, $120,000 over four years. So the Ropu um, get $30,000 a year for four years. Um, we funded Te Waka Angamoa, um, which is focused on um, supporting uh, hapu to be more, um, to be leading in the cli international climate conversation, um, which I really love as a, as a bridge that's led by two rangatahi who have a lot of experience going to the United Nations to represent uh, rangatahi Māori and Rangatahi Pacifica peoples um, in those international conversations and they have seen a gap in that hapu aren't represented in those spaces. Asian Supporting Tino Rangatiratanga, um, National Disabled Students Association, People Against Prisons Aotearoa and Mana, uh, Mana Aniwaniwa um, were kind of the five um, multi-year grants that we've given and so they're the kind of um, uh, group that we are looking to wrap as much support around as possible because a big part of what we want to do is not just shift Pusia to these kaupapa but um, weave a web of relationships around and within them um, to support um, I guess the activation of collectivity and the recognition that our struggles and our solutions are deeply interconnected and that um, we are um, none of us are free until all of us are free and so let's work together um, and so uh, I mentioned that because another part of what we do is we fund hui um, annually for um, those ropu to come together um, and then of course the 14 committee members we funded all of their we, we gave small grants of eight thousand dollars to each of their movements um, and so within that there's 14 different movements across the five key areas um, that, that we were able to shift resource to as well and so it means that we've given um, I think around three, close to four hundred thousand dollars out at this point, um, and um, and yeah, very proud of all of the mahi that um, that everyone has done with that with that resource. Incredible! Whoa, <laughs> so cool, 
so awesome to hear all of them too. And so thank you for creating the space to hear those organizations doing this really important work and, and giving them space here. Um, it'd be really cool to hear um, what's worked well, what you've found challenging and what you've learned along the way uh, in the distribution of those grants to the organizations that you've mentioned. Um, I can talk on that a little bit. Um, what's worked well, I think, um, our communication practices have been really integral to how we make decisions and how we work through conflict. So um, making sure that we're all on the same page in terms of who we're funding and if we're not, how can we make sure we bring all of us into the space of understanding. Um, and that has meant that we've been quite flexible with who we fund and how much we fund. Um, and what what else has worked well I think the way we did the application process was um was was very flexible so we made sure that everyone could send in written applications or verbal applications or like art pieces someone did like their fucker poetry um and then I know that someone put in an application where it was like their whole journey from like them being born to like coming into school and everything which was beautiful there was poetry um yeah having a variety of ways to present your co-papa I think was really really valuable um if anything it inspired so much hope in the committee um and then I think what was really useful was doing multiple rounds of it of um of <clears throat> reflecting so we had the applications and then we shortlisted and then we had interviews and then we shortlisted and then we finally made decisions so having all of those different um I guess areas of decision making made it very clear and, com and comfortable on who we were funding because I think um a lot of us were like how do we how do we justify this to our communities? At the end of the day, who we're accountable to is our movements and it's who we're funding and it's who we're not funding. And so making sure that we were able to go back into our communities and go, we funded the, these people for this copper and this is why. And have it um, sit well in our communities was really important. I think something that we definitely learned was to um, perhaps... Um, take into consideration a bit more time for decision making I think perhaps parts of it was a little bit um, uh, dense a, a lot of dense decision making and um, we had over I think 50 or 60 applications for multi-year grants alone um, and making those decisions in short amounts of time took a while um, but but it was yeah it was definitely well worth it um other things we were we workshopped and learned was figuring out how to um I guess fund groups that we have relationships with because a lot of these groups were either um people or collectives we've worked with or worked in um and have prior history to so making sure that there were no um I guess conflicts of interest and if there was that we owned that and we figured out if that was a strength or if that was a weakness because sometimes it's really important to speak to co-papa and sometimes it's really important to step back and make sure decisions are made fairly um and so it was that negotiation process that um, we needed to workshop but I think at the end in the end we um we're in a really good place with that um at this point we've decided to 
lean on the connections we have for the evaluation process. So when we go back to the movements we fund, um, we're thinking of bringing youth movement fund members who have relationships with those groups or youth movement fund members who um, are more closely aligned with those groups um, just to make the process of evaluation, I guess, less daunting and more relational. Um, yeah, I think I think those were the the key points that we learned. I think the other thing I would say is that um is that um I guess the this this idea of weaving a web of relationships around our rangatahi movements um is a big call, and I think in terms of the challenge, um, uh, what I would love is for um us to. Um, carve out the time to build those relationships of care um, and collaboration so that um, the, the, the mahi or the support that's the total that's needed for these movements doesn't just sit with us. Um, I think that um, I think that uh, you know movements need so much more than just the putia. they need um, you know we need <laughs> um, you know uh, strategy and training and um, you know, access to therapeutic supports for our well-being and um and spaces for gathering and wananga and awesome facilitators that can hold those spaces and we need skills and conflict mediation and resolution and um we need you know support with succession planning and the youth movement fund Aotearoa is very good at participatory decision making for the purpose of moving money to these ropu and very good at um uh, you know, building trusting relationships among ourselves firstly, and then with the people that we that we um, give putia to, and and that's what we're really good at. And what I would love is for us to build relationships with other people in this ecosystem, so that we can. Um, when I say wrap that support around, it's that we know what else out there exists, so that we can point people that we're in relationship with to those people who we also trust to support them in the things that they need that go beyond Putia. And so I think that's a challenge because that, um, if you just think about the, you know, we spent a year on Zoom building our relationships and then a year essentially making the decisions about how to give out these grants. Um, and 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 that, that has meant that we've built relationships at the pace of trust. And then to do that institution to institution was also gonna take time. And so I think one of the challenges is that we were very dedicated to, ensuring that as much of the money that we have access to as possible goes to the movements and collectives um, to the point that I think it was very reliant on relationships. Um, you know, I, I said that we were on Zoom for a year and um, people were absolutely not paid at an hourly rate befitting of being on Zoom for a year. And that's because people believed on in the kaupapa and turned up because of our relationships. And I think that's really important and special, especially in a in a in a kind of not-for-profit industrial complex that pushes us into professionalization, which pushes us often into conservatism and um, transactional relationships. Um, and also people have to pay the bills and pay rent and <laughs> have to be able to carve out time to build those trusting relationships. And so one of the things I'm thinking a lot about is how do we get um the how do we carve out the time as a sector to build those trusting relationships across institutions so that all of us are backing um, young people to do awesome game-changing stuff in a kind of under a quarter wire of care of collective care. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So beautiful. Thank you. So many powerful reflections in there and 
Um, thank you for bringing to surface some of those challenges as well. Um, and a space to celebrate what's working well. I think it's so cool to be able to bring light to all of them. And to build off what you've just been sharing, I think it'd be cool to just ask the question, um, what help do you need from philanthropy more broadly? And what are the collaborations you'd be interested in? I think the first one is that um, is that we received in with very little, we had a 3000 dollar marketing budget um, which we used to pay Maori artists to design social tiles which committee members shared in the movements and Rofu that they're a part of so we didn't um, you know we didn't we had a very relational approach to recruitment for our applications and even just with that we received over 6.9 million dollars worth of applications for funding for a fund that is you know a million dollars and so the need is great and the putia is small <laughs> and so um, I think the first thing to say would be that we are really interested in developing relationships like we did with the Jones family who were like hey we've got a bit of money and um, we don't necessarily have the um, time resource connections capacity to figure out where this money is best place to go but we trust your Ropu to make those decisions and so um, let us know who you think we should give it to and we'll give it to them and so you know they got in touch with us we heard from them what their priority areas are and then we made suggestions to them and then they chose from those suggestions about who it would go to and so we'd love more opportunities for that kind of partnership um, to shift resource to important kaupapa. Um, but I think the other one is, yeah, um, which which is why it's so beautiful that Haley is um, involved in the philanthropy um, uh, in the youth philanthropy um, space now is just um, building those relationships with other people in the business, I want to say, for want of a better word, in the, um, in the world of backing um, young people to transform systems. Um, how is it that we can come together to strategize and collectivize um, together so that we aren't replicating um, each other's work, um, we aren't duplicating each other's work unnecessarily and that we're learning from and supporting one another and being really, really good at what it is that we each do. Um, I think that was as well said as it possibly could have been. Um, yeah, what I would ask other philanthropy organizations and the sector as large is to be be a part of the revolution. Don't be afraid of it um, because we're, we're going um, and you either come with us or we'll come for you, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so cool. And I think, you know, there's so, there's so much richness in the process that, that you've created. There's so much richness in the, the relationship orientated approach you've created to, um, bringing the Youth Movement Fund Aotearoa to life. And I think it would be such a missed opportunity for other funders that are interested in systems change and funding young people and youth movements to not consider how they might allocate funding towards the fund that you have created. There is such an incredible opportunity here for money, money to be redistributed into communities um, where there is young people driving change in community in ways that uh, really uplift the aspirations of young people. So um, calling you forward, youth uh, funders, this is an opportunity and um, it would be wild to not take it up. Uh, young, We know young people are epic. We know young people are awesome. We know young people with the lived experience are the ones who are deeply connected to the solutions. Um, where do you see them playing a role in the future of advocacy or philanthropy or the meeting of both? 
Um, in in the areas of Wic, I focus on, um, which is a few. The focus is Mokopuna. The focus is, um, yeah, our our reflections. And I think young people, as I guess it's weird talking about young people as a young person, but like I see us in every sector. Like young people will be everywhere, everywhere we can be, regardless of what authority and power wants. We're there. We will continue to be strong. We will continue to be bold and we will continue to build these movements. And so it's either you, it's either philanthropy and the systems in general of power um, support us and back us to move us forward or um, watch us go without you. No, we're going to be there. Like I, I can't imagine one sector or one place where there aren't young people involved. And if there aren't, then those are the places where the sector needs to focus on empowering young people to be in. And when I talk about youth involvement and youth empowerment, I mean it in a way where young people are protected to do this mahi because there's no point throwing young people um, some cash to do work and then they get bent out and then they can't sustain these movements and can't sustain themselves because paying the bills is a thing that young people need to do and they need to make sure that their mental health is good and they need to make sure that their family is safe and how their feeling is um, validated and that go that alone is beyond just being funded you know that's a relational um and that's a that's relationships that's genuine power sharing and that's that's the funding model I think the philanthropy the philanthropy sector needs to be taking on board genuine power sharing rather than false generosity oh that's good <laughs> I love that <laughs> um uh yeah I really agree um and and I think as a as a person who came up in a lot of the kind of youth leadership spaces, um, I really, I often think about wanting to be the tour kind of that I wish I had. Um, and, um, you know, I think about some of the stories that I, cause I, I've, I was doing media and stuff from a pretty young age actually. And, um, and um, the media um, in many ways, and actually even in some community organizing models that we're taught, we're taught to like share our trauma um, in order to galvanize um, uh, people um, by generating empathy and sometimes guilt so that people take action and um, and that's inherently unsafe and so I want um, I guess my my message to adults that are listening to this is that we have to um, share power with young people but we also have to um, like uh, be the tour kind of that we wish we had and um, and that perhaps we did have um, and and um and you know back young people hold space for young people um and think about um the importance and power of succession work um and know that that's not a um that's not a like young people are not the beneficiaries of your knowledge you are a beneficiary of being in relationship with those young people because you will learn just as much as they will learn from you and that um is a is a really beautiful thing um and so yeah, I think I I really agree about seeing the power and importance of young people, particularly young people with lived experience in positions of leadership and power. Um, and also we need to maintain intergenerational approaches to the work that we do um, because we can't expect, um, we can't layer 
lots and lots of pressure on top of young people, on top of all of the societal pressure that they face, on top of, you know, environmental pressures that they face. Um, we can't just be like, oh, don't worry, the young people have got it. That's unfair and we need to take responsibility. And so that means how do we wrap our support around young people, but how do we, like, for one of a less militaristic term, get in the trenches alongside young people as they are, to use Haley's language, you know, leading us in more revolutionary ways. How do we join those, you know, stand arm in arm in that revolution rather than just expecting them to clean up the messes of the generations that came before before them? Because, um, yeah, collective liberation requires all of us. Wow, yes. So many golden nuggets. I feel like I'm going to go back and listen to this episode with her journal and just write these um, profound pieces of wisdom down as reference points for guiding my own practice. And yeah, I just feel really, really grateful for the both of you, for your leadership, um, for your learning and your commitment to learning and for showing up regardless you know, you guys are just there doing the thing. And so just want to really acknowledge you and say thank you so much. Um, are there any final words or reflections, um, a wet or anything you want to leave as a final piece to today's episode? My wet or is please think beyond advisory groups. Um, I feel that um, the age of advisory groups must come to an end. We must move beyond consultation to, um, you know, co-governance um, and in all of its forms um, and genuine, true power sharing and partnership. Um, I think uh, I think that people will be pleasantly surprised that when you share power, um, it means that you're also sharing the work and um, and the beauty and the joy and the hope and all of the good the good things that come from being in relationship with with others um, and it's only a net positive that would be my parting words um my widow widow would be to figure out what committing to young people and committing to justice and liberation of young people looks like for your organization and if you're not working towards it what are the immediate steps you can take? What are the steps you want to take in two years? What are the steps in five years? And in 10 years, will your organization look completely different if you've followed through? Gauda, thank you so much for your time today, for your generosity of your thought, for the generosity of your experience, for the generosity of your energy and sharing uh, everything you have today. We're so grateful. Thank you so much to everyone who's tuned into this episode. And that's it for today. Kakite. Mm-hmm.